This week on New Mexico Rising, we have a conversation with Audrey Trujillo. She is the political director for the Republican National Hispanic Association. She's a grassroots organizer as well as an activist. We're going to sit down and have a conversation about the politics of New Mexico GOP and how her activities are going to help New Mexico rise. Let's get this started. Today on New Mexico Rising, we are going to be speaking with Audrey Trujillo. Although she lost the primary to represent District 23 in the Roundhouse, Mrs. Trujillo has continued to gain popularity as a grassroots organizer for the Republican Party of New Mexico. She currently serves as the political director for the Republican National Hispanic Assembly, and various rumors regarding her political future continue to circulate through the political landscape. Perhaps we'll have a better understanding of her ambitions after today's conversation, but as usual, before we get into that, it appears as though we're once again reminded of the corrupt nature of business in Santa Fe. Lindsay Fenton and Annabella Farmer of Searchlight New Mexico have released a piece that digs into the allegations that Attorney General Hector Balderas has had an improper relationship with a local law firm. Thad, what are we to make of this? Par for the course when it comes to our great land of in Enchantment. Hi guys, welcome back. How you doing, Sean? Oh, you know. Yeah, exactly. Paradise. Oh, absolutely. Another day in paradise. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I kind of looked dug through the story a little bit this morning as kind of kind of surfaced it in our kind of pre-show. And yeah, um, at first glance, um, my cynical attitude would be like, again, par for the course for the land of yeah. enchantment. Dig a little deeper, however, and there's a lot more going on here than obviously meets the eye. Maybe that's my cynical and slight paranoid nature. Um, but, you know, our attorney general has, uh, well, has had this, you know, uh, yeah, long time friend. Long yeah, long time friend. It's always this kind of incestuous relationship when it comes to people who have done things. We are a relatively small state. And so Santa Fe is a, um, you know, a hive of scum and villainy. Um so apparently his homeboy has been getting an unusual amount of business from the attorney general's office. His homeboy, because they graduated UNM Law the same year in the same class. They briefly worked together um, before uh, Hector, can I call you Hector, uh, decided to go out on his political journey to be a public servant. This particular article here, uh, a rogues gallery of leftist environmental organizations have basically filed a complaint that says, hey, this is kind of fishy. You've been given a lot of business to the firm, your former firm, for which your homeboy is a um, principal member. They don't have any expertise when it comes to this type of litigation. Uh, in this case, um, what is it? Uh, on behalf of the state of New Mexico, negotiating this merger between PM resources yeah. and Avanglid. And yeah. what is the oh, wonderful name of this? And you gotta go ha ha after that because oh. it's like avant garde, but it's avant garde. Uh -huh. yeah. um, but yeah, so what was the name of this uh, wonderful organization that's fighting uh, on behalf of the people of New Mexico to make sure that this merger is up and up? Well, it's somewhere in there. There it's were four or five of them. I mean, well, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the actual like law firm that is, again, on retainer by the uh, state attorney well, general. Robles, Rael, and Anaya. Uh, okay, there you go. You know, so, yeah. I mean, and they've had it says you know 19 cases they've been given, which is triple the number of cases that were given to any other private law firm. It's amounted to something like three million dollars. And it's what's interesting is that all of the employees and the other people associated with that law firm have been big donors to Balderas's campaigns. 
somewhere around $36,000. So I would say that's a pretty good return on investment if we are, if we are to assume that this is. And the, again, this is the cynical. Again, nature. these are just allegations. It's a, yeah, allegations. It's my cynical nature to believe that yeah. this is just what happens. I'm more, I'm more, I'm more concerned with necessarily the vector of attack than it is the actual complaint itself. And the vector of attack is again a rogues gallery of again of these five kind of social justice, yeah, whatever organizations. And when you look at what their demands were, their demands were for more largesque coming from the uh, acquiring entity, uh, Avangrid, ha ha ha, and Rola. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. There's that one, right? Say it again. That one is well. That's the parent company. Is okay. The Corolla. So that you know, that's that's the thing. This all ties back to Spain and European interests. And in, in wanting, yeah, in wanting basically to snatch things up. New Mexico uh, was the last state. Uh, what is it? Utility commission that needed to sign off in order to let this merger go forward, and basically. The concessions were they these groups think that we should have gotten more concessions i.e largesque i.e like we should have just yanked tried to get more money out of them before we actually approved the merger for the people the mm. things that were you know balderas put out there in the press that he uh, uh that uh he wanted more concessions in the sense that like hey what are we getting out of this he did this in april by june uh, the company who wanted to acquire PM resources then came back and said, okay, well, here's an amendment to what, you know, to our, our notice of filing. And we are going to give you $50 million in rate credits for the, uh, you know, for your customers, which I don't know what form that takes because my bill hasn't gone down much. You're going to get 6 million more for like acreage recover uh, forgiveness. You're going to get like funds for providing electricity to remote areas. You're going to get all this money and all these economic development funds. And oh yeah, by the way, we'll hide, we'll create 150 new jobs to remain no longer than five years. Basically this group, these groups are complaining in my opinion, because we didn't get more out of it. And the vector of attack was the fact, Hey, you know, they have this incestuous relationship between the company that negotiated this or the law firm that negotiated this on behalf of New Mexico and the company and the state attorney yeah. general. Well, and it's one of those things where, you know, Balderas took a position that was very much in line with the groups that are now suing. And yes. and then apparently he had a meeting with mm -hmm. Royal, who was rep representing Ibidrola, and magically he changed his mind. He changed his mind. He changed his mind. And these guys who thought we, they were going to get their shakedown money from this merger suddenly aren't going to get as much shakedown money. So the question is, what was that conversation like? What were they I'm discussing? Sure, I'm sure it was all, you know, very, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. You know, you know what? Forget this. It's all yeah. in the up and up, man. It's yeah. pretty legit. Yeah. Seems legit. So super legit. <laughs> really <Yeah>. legit. <laughs> all right, man. As usual. <laughs> this is New Mexico. Uh, as, as, as some, as a, as a great movie quote once said, this is Africa. This is New Mexico. Is this more of the reason why I'm such a cynical, grumpy, old, bald, fat man? But we don't have to get into all that. I don't want to start crying on air. No, not yet. At least not yet. But anyway, so with that said, uh, let's now that we've beat up on the state of New Mexico and we've now dealt with kind of a lot of these other issues. Should we bring in our guests or is there more to oh, we say? I, I don't think we really need to say anything else. Let's try to get some positivity into this room. Yes. And... <laughs> Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, we appreciate it. Um, you've classed up the joint. We appreciate it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thanks for joining us. So, hey, uh, I guess the first question I want to ask you here is like, you're very politically active, and you've been kind of a mainstay, particularly on social media for quite a long time, particularly with uh, GOP politics here in the state. What inspired you to to get into this fight? Well, I would have to say my family, my kids, you know, our future, our generations that are going to follow us, we have to stand up and, you know, be a beacon of hope in this craziness that we're going through right now. You know, we're seeing a lot of issues with um, with our politicians not doing what the people want or need and kind of being self-serving instead. And we've got to change that atmosphere because, you know, when you run for politics, you are not a leader. You're a representative of the people. Yeah, I mean, you've had, you know, 
obviously one run that can be found on the books, but I will be honest. I mean, it's, it's kind of been tough to dig into you and find out who you are. So, so maybe just take this opportunity. You mentioned how your kids were a big part of that inspiration. I know that you're an entrepreneur, you're a businesswoman, um, you manage uh, some rentals and things like that. So obviously you deal with a lot of these things, but kind of getting back to that, it's like, okay, beyond those broader issues, at what point did you just decide I'm going to get active and, and, you know, kind of speak to that a little bit. Well, I, I kind of, um, I kind of did things, I guess the proper way <laughs> I did all my education right out of high school. I was the first in my, in my family to go to college. Um, I have a twin sister. She actually went to college as well. And my mom about, I say about 20, 20 years later after, she went to college. So we all hold master's degrees. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we have some strong women in my family. Um, one of the biggest things that brought me to politics is the fact that, you know, I was brought up in Santa Fe, I born and raised, you know, we have 15 generations of New Mexicans that I can trace back on both sides of my family. And we've seen a lot of changes, especially in our hometown, you know, Santa Fe is not the, the Santa Fe that we grew up in. And it's amazing to see all the different um, changes that are being made without the voice of our New Mexicans and our people. And that's including our history being trampled on, our culture, our traditions, our fiestas. Um, The first time I really got into something really um, political and and, uh, just something that was really hit to the heart of Hispanics in New Mexico was when they were trying to take down the 100-year-old, it was a historic, I guess they called it a um, pageantry, but it was the Entrada. I don't know if you guys heard about that. That was the first step of of really erasing the Hispanic culture in New Mexico, and and we fought against that, you know, and obviously we have a lot of people that are New Mexicans that, you know, they just didn't stand up for it, and, and they weren't strong enough against the archdiocese and everything, and they folded and now we're seeing more, you know, from that decision that was made, we're seeing it even going further than that. Now we're, you know, looking at this chart. Um, uh, I don't even know what it's called. It's this chart issue that they're putting together with Mayor Weber up in Santa Fe. And they're trying to get a committee together to determine what is important and what's not important. And the people that they have on that committee, you know, I kind of looked up there. I'm a, I'm a I like to do my work research on these people behind to see, you know, are they really, you know, going to support the voice of New Mexico or are they just in there for their own, you know, agendas or whatever. But looking at the chart and the people that are in this committee, um, you know, none of them really represent us. You know, it just seems like another way to make it look like they're involving the people. And in reality, it's just doing the dirty work of the mayor or whoever has their agendas to erase our history. Yeah. I mean, I think as part of that, I know you founded Return New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it sounds like that's kind of tied into all of that, where you're trying to preserve that cultural heritage. Um, so why don't you speak a little bit about that mm-hmm. and what you're doing with Return New Mexico? Okay, so Return New Mexico is an organization that we put together to kind of include our, all our people. It wasn't a political, um, partisan type of thing. It was more just bringing all our New Mexicans together and, and on, on important issues that were really hurting our state, you know, whether it be small businesses, whether it be our Christian values, um, whether it be our, our just our rights, our constitutional rights that are being trampled on. And what I saw what was so exciting about that organization when we brought the biggest rally ever to New Mexico. I mean, we had over a thousand people that went to the roundhouse. We had so many people in that at that roundhouse that we were able to surround the roundhouse and hold hands, literally. Um, This is the first time we've ever had that. And they were from all denominations and they were also from all parties. We had independents there. We had, you know, Republicans, we had libertarians, we had Democrats, just people who believe in wanting to really do something positive for New Mexico and, and really who believe that there's an evil entity that's really surrounded New Mexico and, is really trying to, instead of bring us forward, set us back. Yeah, it sounds, it's positive to hear uh, people get into the, not necessarily the political arena, but the activist arena, talk about culture. Um, and I think the 
big issue that has allowed probably these uh, these entities and or this at least what we discussed earlier here where you have allegedly corrupt official uh, dealings happening is I think it's a cultural rot and I think that any organization or people who want to get together and kind of say hey we should we should look at this culturally um, I think is a positive thing so you st- you also um, you know, You've also kind of been part of this Republican National Hispanic Association. I'm sorry, I missed or uh, assembly. I'm sorry, I misspoke earlier. Um, um, that kind of represents you. You, you think uh, the future of this country, and in, 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 you know, it's a, you know, it's obviously a political organization. Could you kind of break that down, and you know, what you feel that will help us do in the future? Yes. Um, well, if you look at our demographics and how, you know, we have 48 to 52 percent Hispanic population and we need to really um, bring them conservative Hispanics because, I mean, primarily Hispanics in my family, we are conservative. You know, these things that are coming down the pipes are not something that we that we believe in. So what I want to do is um, with this Hispanic um, organization is. You don't have to be Hispanic, but you have to believe in the in the same um, credible like entities that really strengthen our New Mexico for what it is. And New Mexico, since we do have such a high population population of, of Hispanics, we got to include them. We got to make sure that they feel that they have a voice, and this is a way an opportunity to do that. And we are um, we just got taken up by CPAC, which is great. You know, that's a that's a great organization that has really saw some light into what we're doing in New Mexico. So we're putting ourselves on the national level and, and also making sure that New Mexico doesn't get forgotten yeah. in the process. You know, I think when it comes to that, you've gained a certain amount. You know, one thing I was able to find was that you did have some public notoriety after inadvertently posting a meme to the Republican Party in New Mexico Facebook page in the spring of 2019. Yes. The, the party issued an apology um, and reportedly revoked your posting privileges. You yourself issued an apology. The governor's spokesman, Trip Stalnicki, said, I wonder whether they agree with the unbecoming sentiment, and I would hope they do not, but that's for them to answer. So here we are two years later from the meme, um, so we, we, oh, oh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> this is something I really like to clear I'm, up. I'm loading this question up as much as possible. Absolutely. But with everything that has transpired in the state, mm-hmm. in a cursory overview of your social media would suggest that you're less than apologetic. Right. How do you feel about that sentiment now, going back to that meme? Obviously, some of the more, um, I think it's fair to call them inflammatory things that you've been known to post and say. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's your attitude about all that with the political landscape now? So, you know how the media kind of likes to twist and turn your words and what you say. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I did have a conversation with, um, Daniel Chacon, who's from the Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, we go back, you know, he's a friend. Yeah. And if you read the actual article, it says that I did not apologize for, to Michelle Grisham. I actually said she was probably worse than what was said on that meme. However, okay. I, did, I did apologize to the Republican Party because um, it should have not put up, been put on their page. It was done by accident. I had, I had been given, um, what is it, temporary yeah. I guess, access to their thing. And, and I have so many pages that I actually did it by accident. But it was okay because, you know, a lot of what we did see when that happened was a lot of our Republicans saw it as a breath of fresh air because finally mm-hmm. someone was saying something that, needed to be said and and that was that this this governor is chasing our um economy and our and our businesses out the door you know they're hiring taxes every you know every time you look around you're being taxed to death and you know people don't can't come here and say oh i'm going to be um successful in new mexico you know unless you're part of the movie theater industry and all that stuff you really have only government jobs. You only have, um, I mean, there's only, there's a limited of jobs here that are professional jobs that are going to pay you to be able to live in this, in this, you know, economy here. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that we've seen obviously with the attacks on the oil industry, I've known plenty of people that have gone out of state. So, you know, it's like, you go back to that meme and it was like, you know, uh, thanks for (laughs) visiting, you know, the governor's, uh, 
Well, yeah, yeah. Sure. I won't quote it directly on this. Yeah, show. yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, we, we we're trying to be more of a family you'll, show, you'll but allow me. All the newspapers will pick you up and be like, "Yeah, well, yeah. but allow me to be, <laughs> allow me to be less diplomatic about the fact that, like, yes, uh, it was inadvertent. Yes, it was probably in poor taste. However, comma, <laughs> it was something that you said was a breath of fresh air to the people who saw it, and yeah. the and the New Mexico GOP. No offense to them. We've had a lot of people who represent them on has been the loyal opposition that enjoy that enjoys getting curb stomped. And to me, them somewhat throwing you under the bus, that's what I feel. Yeah, um it's dumb. Exactly. It's dumb. It's all it's 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 you gotta fight fire with fire. I can go to probably many Democrat backed Facebook groups and organizations and see far worse, probably even posted about you. So right. to me, let me be the first to tell you, not uh, speaking for the show, but speaking for myself, what they did to you was weak. Yeah. And this is why we don't, you, this is why people who have our political persuasion don't hold power in Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. That's why. Right. I'm done pontificating now. We can go back to you. Well, I'll, I'll add to that. <laughs> and I'll say, the thing is, is when we talk about vulgarity within the, the realm of politics, uh, it's kind of the American way going all the way back. So it, it makes me giggle every time someone gets upset over vulgarity. I mean, for crying out loud, we're, we're in the, the year where, you know, Sheriff Manny had to deal with a flying sex toy, which wasn't a sex toy. <laughs> and actually, with, that was my video. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, so there's that going on, and apparently, apparently it made an appearance on a Zoom meeting yeah. with him the other day as well. So Again, they make these accusations from one side, and then one side always caters to that and, and says, oh, we're so sorry, we're so sorry. But with everything that's going on and divisive as divisive as it is, I mean, at what point does vulgarity become appropriate? Right. Well, when you have a, um, you know, a governor that has sexual um, allegations popping back and forth everywhere, when you have you know, her closing down businesses, over 400 businesses plus, you know, I can't even, they're not, they're gone forever, you know, and these are some old school businesses that have been there for years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a disgrace when she's over there parading herself, taking pictures in front of these businesses that, you know, lost so much income. And now we're having to federally fund them just to keep them afloat and for them to pay their employees. It's ridiculous. You know, it, it's, she's, she's, just a hypocrite. That's the way I see it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very hypocritical when you see that, you know, you, when you're a leader and we're not a leader, but a representative of your people, you should represent those people in a way where they feel dignified of what they're, what, you know, with dignity and, um, you know, have respect, you know, and the way she closed everything down without looking at the possibilities that we may have, you know, businesses that will never be able to come back. That, that was just so selfish of her and allowing other businesses to stay open, especially at the big, big box stores. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's been my biggest complaint this whole time. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess we want to, yeah, I mean, you want to kind of fight against the divisiveness. And, you know, that got me fired up, of course, this morning when I heard, read that story. Mm -hmm. um, but all right, we don't want to be as divisive, right? We want to kind right. of bring people together. Uh, so I guess what I guess I could ask, what could New Mexico, I guess, New Mexicans do? I mean, to fight back against this kind of this division, right? I mean, how can we teach our children to be leaders and patriots? I mean, what what would be ideal? All right. Um, so I what would be the ideals to build back the country? I guess is the kind of question I'm fumbling around to ask. <laughs> I'm an optimistic. You know, I love New Mexico. I was born and raised here. I have family here. And like I said, my kids are here. Um, I just had one graduate from high school, you know, top 10% of his class. Me too. He, he got it. Oh, awesome. Congratulations. And, um, you know, he's going to go to, he just got into the UNM medical school there, the dual degree program. And, you know, we, we have a lot of things to look forward to because I think our kids, you know, the ones that are being um, trained up right, as I can say, <laughs> you know, we do have some smart, smart kids in here in New Mexico. And all we hear is, oh, we're at the end of the, the 49% of education, but I think it's even 50th now. Um, our graduations are poor, our, you know, our teachers are bad and all this stuff. You know, we just hear all that bad stuff. And I, I think what we got to do is stop looking at it like that. We got to start um, 
celebrating those teachers that are doing a good job because I know there's a lot of them that are you know they, they work hard and you know those are the ones that get kind of lost in the in the in the fluff because they don't go by the the what what they're trying to push through like with this critical race theory and all this other stuff that they're trying to push through the school systems you know none of those things are values that New Mexico have and if you're from here you know when things are wrong, you know, and you just you just need to make sure that your kids don't get caught up in all that and teach them. Like I said, family is very important. You know, when you have a, a mom and a dad and a family, those kids are going to succeed a lot easier, I should say, because, you know, there's some that do succeed even without, you know, their, their father or their mother involved. But it's a lot easier for them. So, you know, what I do is, you know, my kids have friends, they bring them over incorporate those kids and, and just give them, you know, try to help them out with, with the values that you know that are good and that are going to help them out in their lives. And that's what I say. You need to start at the lowest level, you know, get involved with your student councils. I was the PTA president at my kid's school, you know, get involved. In, and when you're involved, you know what's going on. You know what's coming down the pipeline. You know, you, you understand what's why things are, are moving in the direction they're moving before they even move. So, you know, those are the things that I would tell parents, you know, to just get involved, you know, do, you know, a lot of them were, they were talking about um, putting cameras in the classrooms and all that stuff. And I'm a constitutionalist. I, I enjoy our privacy and I think our rights, we should be holding dear and strong to them. And I'm not an advocate for putting hidden cameras everywhere. Um, I think there is probably a, a reason to do that because of, of things that have happened in the past or whatever, but I also think that parents, if they got involved and they put themselves in the classrooms and helped in the teachers out and and really got involved, these things, we wouldn't have to be doing all these sneaky things and trying to um, use technology in a way where it takes away our, our privacy. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's always a good idea to get involved. That's something that um, has frustrated me about the entire process when people complain about schools, you know, up to the point where, you know, obviously I'm an advocate for homeschooling at this point. Right. I think that, I think that more parents, if they have complaints about mask mandates or anything else, well, you have options. Yeah. Um, but when we talk about getting involved, you've spoken about the need for America first candidates. The term America first has really been associated with white supremacy in much of the mainstream media which you could have an argument, but what does it mean to you to be America first? I believe, you know, America, we are a beacon of hope for all countries and we need to stand strong. You know, we need to make sure we are responsible in the things we do and what we project to the world. And for me, America first means, um, I don't see it as a white supremacist thing because America is a melting pot. We have all cultures. There is no race, but the human race, in my opinion. Um, but I think America first means that, you know, we've been taking care of everybody else. And during that time, I think we got neglected. You know, our streets, look at New Mexico. You can't go down a street without needing new tires by the time you leave our state. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, those kind of things, you know, we're, we're just putting to the wayside. And, and I think, you know, America needs to be put in a place where they can take care of their own take care of our state, take care of the needs of, of the homeless people that are here, you know, and, and like I said, I have no problem with immigrants coming to our country because I think that's what makes us very unique and, and it's a beautiful thing because they bring their cultures and everything. But I also believe that we need to protect our country and we got to protect it with making sure that those people that come in are wanting to simulate, you know, wanting to come in and work hard for the United States and, and prosper with all of us. You know, we don't need them to just continue to keep taking and taking and, and, and nobody's putting back into the coffers of, of what we need in our, you know, like welfare and all these other things that are being taken advantage of. And it's not just, just, you know, it's, it's everybody, you know, everybody, Americans need to start, you know, being a lot more stronger in those issues as well. And not think that, the, the government is your father because the father, you know, your father is either God in heaven or the one that made you here on earth. And when you decide that, you know, government is going to be the one that's going to pay for your bills for everything. And you're not relying on going to, you know, getting a job, getting educated, doing the right things. Then, you know, that's when we start seeing this type of, of just 
discourse and in, 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 in how we're, we're looking at things right now. Sure. I mean, I think, I think that when we talk about America First, you mentioned CPAC earlier as being an organization you kind of look to. Uh, Nick Fuentes, uh, that's been his movement for years now, was America First. And he was recently banned from CPAC. I mean, how does that tie into your feelings on CPAC and whether or not any of these people really are America First? Well, you know, CPAC is a conservative organization. You know, what they do is they try to... Um, give a voice to the conservative voice. And a lot of times, like I say, you know, we, we see definitions that are being totally messed with. <laughs> you know, the, the, the definition of racism has changed drastically. It's like, it doesn't even have a meaning anymore by the way they've been using it improperly. You know, anytime you speak out, I'm a Hispanic woman and, you know, I'll be called out as a racist just because I'm holding a flag. You know, that's ridiculous. That's, the, that's when you go back to the culture of hating you know, they're teaching our kids to hate their country. Well, we can't do that. You know, we got to stand up and say, you know, what, we're proud. We're so lucky to be in this country. We could have been, you know, sent out anywhere in the world, you know, just, just by luck. We were able to come to a free country. But we do have, you know, the rights to have dreams and, and, and make sure that, that everybody can prosper. Yeah. So I don't know if I answered your question, but uh, yeah. it's, 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 okay. it's okay to dance around it's a little just, bit. Yeah, well, it's an organization, like I say, like any other organization, but any organization can be diluted. In well, it's give and take with all this stuff. Right. There has to be pragmatism involved. You, you know, you can't be a purist on every single issue. Right. And, and that's true, right? I mean, it doesn't, I mean, yes, Mr. Fuentes has pretty had a problematic past and Yes, we can probably say, all right, an organization has the right to exclude one person or the other, but it almost seems to give credence to his overall, just we're still talking about Mr. Fuentes here, his overall banning from the public square in general. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I guess, you know, just to kind of get a little off script here, what do you think yeah. about that, right? I mean, you, we- I am against it. Yeah, we yeah we've been dealing with a lot of censorship in our other platforms. We see censorship yeah. across many many oh, platforms. I am the queen of being censored, you know, on our my platforms. Oh yeah, I know what censorship is, and it's really you know it's it's gone to the point where even if it's a fact, you know, they'll censor you. They're yeah. trying to create a atmosphere with with technology, with our platforms, with everything else, where they're just directing people out. You know, if they don't like what you're saying or they're against certain things, they're going to turn around and, and close that off or cover it up or whatever. And I mean, there was a post that was posted on Facebook and it was the gas prices. I think it was like three, four months ago before, you know, when Biden, right before Biden, they covered it up and said misinformation or missing content or something like missing, that. Yeah, missing context. And then they yeah, fact check like, like, something that's completely not the context of the post that you posted. Exactly. Yeah, there was no context there. And there's no not even a mention of Biden. And then the fact checkers come along and right. they're like, hey, just so you know. This doesn't have anything to do with yeah. Biden. Well, thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, they cleared that up. I don't think that had anything to do with it. Thanks a lot. And so let's let's also let's so let's uh, let's put our platform in somewhat jeopardy by discussing election yes. integrity. So yes. you've been a harsh critic of our Secretary of State, Maggie Oliver. Yeah. Uh, you've been citing allegations of voter suppression in Viriva County. Mm -hmm. uh, elaborate on your criticisms, those allegations, and I mean, what do you think we need to do to? Uh, change what's going on in the Secretary of State's office? Well, you know, the Secretary of State's office, they do things legally, but they use their loopholes. And we saw with the Emergency Order Act that they used with, you know, closing everything down and, and using that act, they really used everything they could do to shut our voters down, you know, our voting booths, our precincts. You know, my mom and dad are, they live in a rural area up in northern New Mexico. You know, they've had their precinct open for years and it was only, you know, 20 minutes away versus going another hour to an hour and a half to another location. And what was kind of when I talk about doing things legally, they did things behind closed doors during the session where they had a special session during the COVID closures and everything. And, and they changed um, some of the they made a they actually passed a bill to be able to closed down precincts during the 
during this time. And, and they also, um, what they did was they sent out a letter, which was very sneaky. And I don't know if you guys heard about this. They sent out a letter to all these people in these areas. And the reason why I know about this is because my mom and dad are one of them. And they asked them to send that letter back if they didn't want a absentee ballot sent to them. Normally, if you look at the way they do these things, you're supposed to send out an absentee ballot, you know, form when requested. to request it. Mm -hmm. And this was totally backwards. And this was during the time when we had um, campaign stuff coming in and mail. And I mean, I know if you guys remember that time, you get a bunch of junk mail and you just yeah. toss stuff away, right? Um, well, a lot of people did that. So they ended up getting absentee ballots, mail-in ballots sent to them. And then they were like, what is this? You know, why am mm -hmm. I having, getting this? I didn't request this. So they would go in person to go vote. And then they would tell them, I'm sorry, but you already sent out an absentee ballot. You're going to have to do a provisional. Well, provisionals are the last ones that they will even count if they count at mm -hmm. all. Yeah. So, you know, that was very disenfranchising to them. And it was it was really underhanded the way they did that. So I don't, you know, I don't care for, for what they, what they did. They used their powers of, of, of government and, and their positions to manipulate this whole voting thing, which is really sad, regardless if you're a Democrat or Republican, you know, it's not a partisan issue. It's, it's really actually, it's a, yeah. a voter's rights issue. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I'm neither a Republican or a Democrat in full right. disclosure to everybody. And even I had received. Uh, I, I caught that one right away. <laughs> 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 I, you know, I, even I received the ballot in the mail and I was looking at it, you know, my attitude's always been, if not, if I'm not willing to go and, you know, dip my thumb into the blue ink, right, right. then it must not be that important. So I kind of laughed at the whole thing, but then you kind of see how nefarious it really was in the end with all these mail-in ballots going out. Obviously, uh, anyone who's paid attention to Arizona lately, uh, you know. There were a lot of mail-in ballots sent out. And obviously, if people in New Mexico are seeing that same thing here, it makes you wonder about the integrity in the state. And so you've actually, you've been calling for a full forensic audit in the state yeah. of New Mexico. I, I mean, elaborate on what you think that would do or why it's necessary. Well, like I said, I think, you know, with, with New Mexico and the politics and just being around New Mexico for what 40 some years of my life <laughs> i just yeah. told you my age but anyway <laughs> um, <laughs> it happened um you know you hear you know you hear people talking you know you know people that worked in the clerk's offices you you know what's going on you know can you prove it no you know because nobody wants to lose their jobs no one wants to put everybody under the bus but the fact is is there's a lot of cheating that's been going on and it's not just been this time around it's been going on for years before us um, it's just that the, the techniques have been a little bit more advanced. So mm -hmm. no longer having going to the senior centers and sitting down and having them sign in their, their ballots. It's, it's gotten a lot more um, complicated, not complicated, easy, easier, I think, to do that. So the consideration of, of trying to clean up in New Mexico is something that we should all take very serious. You know, yeah. we need to clean up this. You know, there's voter rolls that have not been done since 2008. Amen. Have, as someone who has looked at voter rolls for the Libertarian Party, yeah. they're garbage and they're not accurate. And if those voter rolls were used to send right. out ballots, mm -hmm. God help us. Because a lot of ballots went to a lot of random places or places where the resident doesn't even live or is not even in the district or precinct in question. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. The voter rules, first and foremost, if you're going to, before you do any forensic audit, mm -hmm. we need to voter fight rules. in every court in the country, in every court in the country, but really in this state to make sure those voter rules are clean. Yeah, first and people, foremost. We have people that are 120 still voting. <laughs> <laughs> we were looking at these roles and we we're just like, you know, and you have to do a lot of work to try to find out if these people are still alive. Um, you know, we have state agencies. We have the vital statistics um, agency that actually, you know, you when you die, you have to, they put in the information to show that you're dead now, right? Your birth certificate and everything and your death certificate. So I, I don't see why these state agencies, you know, they were able to put the DMV and connect them to the 
the county clerk's offices and the secretary of state and allow people to vote there, why can't they connect that vital statistics and, and make sure that when someone dies, it automatically clears that person out? You know, we, there's a lot of things that we can do differently, but I think these things aren't done because it's in favor of one party over the other, you know, to make sure that, you know, the complications are there and, and those kind of things. But yeah, it's easy to cheat, you know, according to what I saw, it looks like there's not a lot of checks and balances in place or they're not, or they're ignoring them if they are in place. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. I mean, it, it... You know, I still wonder why everyone's so hesitant to do full forensic audits. <laughs> it, 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 it boggles my mind. If they're so confident about yes. their victories, then it yes. shouldn't be that big a deal. You know, that's, what they always yeah. tell, that's what they always tell us. They're like, well, you know, if you're not doing anything illegal, you sh really shouldn't worry about the NSA and the FBI spying on you. Okay, let's apply that same logic. Or if you want to fight misinformation on Facebook or these social media platforms about the integrity of the elections, then do an audit. Or at the very least, we don't even have to do a full forensic audit. I, I Just so I feel comfortable next time when we actually go to the polls, clean those voter rolls and enforce the laws that exist on the books for voter integrity. It ain't rocket science. We're not asking them to do anything that probably isn't in the state statute, right? Right. Um, you know, I, third party can't, you know, third parties get screwed just as badly here. And, you know, we, but, you know, when we, uh, when I was doing work with the Libertarian Party, we sued all the time <laughs> about these shenanigans they played at precincts, shenanigans they played during primary, shenanigans they played. So I, I was the first to see that up close. I'm like, wow, it, it all really gets undermined if the voter rolls aren't accurate. And then once we feel confident about the voter rolls, yeah, full forensic audit to make sure that what happened before doesn't happen again. Not because we want to blame anyone, but maybe just maybe because we want to ensure election integrity and make sure that the next election we have are the most, what did they say? The fairest, cleanest, most whatever elections of all time. What was the, let's what was the mantra? The election. Let's fortify the election. Yeah, yeah let's, let's fortify, fortify the election. <laughs> That's well, you know, like like I said, the people are very disenfranchised or feel disenfranchised because they feel their vote was not counted, you know, and, and, and getting people to get back in there and, and vote again is going to be something that we all got to look at. You know, if we're going to want to win elections, we got to get people off the couch to go vote and believe that their vote is going to count. So we got to increase their the integrity first and make sure they believe that, you know, when they put that ballot in there and it goes through that's what they're going to be voting for if not then you know like my parents are just like oh it's the last time i'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote again you know this was ridiculous and so we just got to talk to those people and say you know what we still got to vote you know it's very important that we get out there and vote and do what we can at the local levels put pressure on our county clerks make sure that you can um you know there's a lot of there's some counties talking about doing a ordinance and it would be like a voter integrity ordinance, which by county by county, they can do that on their county level and vote in, you know, certain rules that they want in their county, you know, maybe voter ID, um, clean up those voter rolls, the simple things, you know, the things that we can do right away before this election. Otherwise, you know, like I said, if there's these loopholes are there and, and they're able to use them and they're going to do it again, we're going to go back into quarantine again right before the elections, because it seems like they knew that that worked. So yeah. mark my words, I think that might be going down the pipeline. It's funny you bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she read our show notes. Like she read our show notes. <laughs> you, you've been a very, very vocal critic of public health measures. Yes. Um, instituted by MLG, you know, the Delta variant is the latest scare in a long list of scares uh you mentioned that you think we will be going back into lockdown i'm i'm inclined to agree that that's where we're headed if things do not change um there's incredible pressure being put on everybody to bow to vaccine mandates that's being discussed at the very least they're talking about vaccine passports 
let's just you know since we're gonna get kicked off of facebook and youtube for the session today let's just let's this just go ahead and you might get kicked off i'm sorry <laughs> that's a well no, you we know, do a pretty good job of getting ourselves kicked off don't worry i got, got d person from facebook so you know i'm working on that as well i'm surprised yeah. i haven't gotten banned just because you know chris puts my name up on screen <laughs> <laughs> Don't feel bad. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, vaccine passports. What, what, what should New Mexicans do, in your opinion, to kind of stand up against what we're seeing happen, regardless of what the twenty-five percent, roughly, who we are going to talk about? You know, we got to stop complying. You know, it's, it, when we give up our rights, we continue to to push that type of behavior you know we're, we're we comply 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 and you know all of us are, are law-abiding citizens most of us anyway <laughs> but um you know we want to do the right thing we want to be have safety we want to make sure that our families are safe but when it comes to the fact that you know they're forcing things on people you know especially on a vaccine that is still in study you know they're still testing it we are the test subjects and that's what people need to understand we don't know what this thing is going to do two to five to 10 years from now. You know, a lot of, you know, um, doctors and professionals are talking that, you know, they're not even taking it because they understand that this is not something that, that people should be giving to their kids, especially, you know, without it being FDA approved and, and more studies, you know, it takes about 20 to 30 years for actually a vaccine to be actually um, considered safe. And we're not seeing that, you know, we're seeing this thing forced out within what, nine months that they, they sent it out. And now it's, they're forcing it on little kids now, you know, in the schools and, or, or segregating them by wearing masks, you know, yeah. saying, oh, well, you don't, you're not vaccinated. Well, you're going to have to wear a mask. So. Well, I think that's what they've seen. They want to make it as miserable as possible for anybody who turns it down. You know, I know, I know our friend Thad here is dealing with some of that himself, mm. which, which he may not want to get too much into but you know we can do the broad strokes the reality is is that when you have robert malone the doctor who actually invented mrna technology he's coming out as a vaccinated man and he's saying that if he had it to do over again he would strongly encourage his children not to get this vaccine when you have the university of texas study from 2012 that dr fauci himself was involved in that dealt with mrna vaccines and what the consequences of you know, using that spike protein as an attack vector and what that has done. There, there's a plethora of information out there, whether you're talking about Garrett Vandebosch, uh, the guy who ran the vaccination program for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. There's plenty of people out there right. who are well-respected within the scientific community who know very well what they're speaking of, um, but they are being suppressed and censored. Our government's going ahead and shoving it down everybody's throat and what we see is this continued compliance. Do you think that we're to the end of that compliance? You think that after everything that happened with the lockdown, that if they do enforce another lockdown, you will see you know, mass civil disobedience by New Mexico businesses, or are they just going to roll over kind of the way most of them did throughout the last year? Oh, it's hard to say, you know, I know that our, you know, when we have protests and rallies against all these issues, you know, our numbers are growing and we got a lot of, of businesses that stood up and did not comply. Um, the last one was Backstreet. I think you guys are there. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, no, we. You, it was you who brought it to our attention. I think I might have even seen you there once or twice because I know we started eating there when we realized like oh, it's a place we can yeah. eat. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, I'm very optimistic that you know these kind of things and that we've been doing are going to really empower the people to take back you know, and, and stop complying, you know, it, these things are very communistic. If you look at it in the, I wouldn't even say socialist, I'm saying communistic. When you have the Gestapo, <laughs> we call them Gestapo, yeah. but you have the state police coming to businesses to strong arm them. I mean, there was eight to 10, I think, um, state police coming to a poor business owner's um, business just to intimidate, you know, and then you have these people and I was out there and I was talking to these People found out one of them was the health secretary of state and he, yeah, couldn't, even, he couldn't even answer questions. His hands were, were, you know, crossed over. He was in such a, he didn't, he didn't know where to go. He just was like, mm -hmm. just, just get out of here. <laughs> but when you have people like that, that are standing up for the people, I think, I think we're going to see a different, there's going to be more businesses that are going to say, you know what, screw this. We're not going to close up. 
you know, do whatever you need to do. But, you know, when it comes down to it, we take it to the Supreme Court. If the Supreme Court here in New Mexico doesn't work on it, it's going to go federal. And, you know, we're going to start seeing, I think, um, a lot of these um, judgments coming down where that are going to protect the people. And I think that's where we need to do and go, you know, in that direction, because it needs to go through the, the courts. You know, people need to not be afraid to get to go to the courts and, and fight these things. They definitely need to. We're not yeah. going to you know, be able to roll over. I hope so. I hope that I hope that it doesn't bankrupt as many businesses that are probably willing to fight about this. Right. Yeah. When you go through the long list of things that Sean just mentioned, and then we we tend to get no we tend to get like radio silence on you know, ivermectin as a treatment or full full antibody immunity if one has already been a carrier of the disease. And what happened to monoclonal antibody therapies and stuff? All this stuff. Yeah, no, by, by the way, on the, I, I do want to mention that, that on the monoclonal anti antibody therapies, okay, that they pull out of people's blood and thing like things like that. Well, the Red Cross has now put out the statement that they are not accepting blood from people who've been vaccinated. Yeah, well, the largest phase yeah. three trial in human history. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, it's funny because I, I just find it, you know, you know, I find myself, you know, having to deal with these issues like, wow, I mean, but but what about this other broad spectrum immunity that people who have had the virus and carriers of the virus have had? We are at a herd immunity. If you take the people who have actually taken at least one vaccination shot and the people who have caught this, because there are, you know, quote, if you were to believe the science, there was asymptomatic carriers. So that means if there was asymptomatic carriers, it means these asymptomatic carriers have antibodies. Um, so, yeah, someone's going to need to litigate this. I'm I'm kind of not very optimistic about the court system as it exists in litigation. I think the litigation would have to be so overwhelming, state by state, jurisdiction by jurisdiction. And it's going to take, in my opinion, probably a decade before there's really a true reckoning about the economic damage that was caused. The overdose deaths, of course, have been, you know, we, we recorded a lot of overdose, overdose deaths because of things last year and people are you know are, are dumbfounded as to why that is which i think is the silliest thing i've ever read in any local newspaper um who's gonna yeah i guess the question question i have to you is i mean who you who do you think should be made to pay after all the litigation is cleared for what has happened to the state when it comes to the institution of the really the implementation of these mandates that have caused so much damage you've alluded to for businesses and families and whatnot. Well, if we could personally sue these people, these individuals, these these representatives, um, that would be the way to go. But unfortunately, you know, the state is the one that gets hit. You know, all these yeah. lawsuits go through the state and the taxpayers are, are basically mm -hmm. suing themselves. So, you know, I don't know if there's, you know, it, it's really hard to say unless they change the laws on that and we're able to do that. I, it's like, you know, unfortunate, but we're the ones that the taxpayers are the ones that get hit again. You know, we get beat up again, all over again. So, um, I mean, there's really no one to really pay, you know, besides ourselves. So, yeah, I mean, this kind of leads us into this ugly situation where, you know, the Biden administration continues to push this idea that vaccine hesitancy or libertarian thinking of any way or sort. Uh, the Second Amendment advocacy for that and all these things are now being framed as terrorism you know you mentioned the way the new mexico state police were ready and willing they stood there uh to enforce what many believe maybe not a majority but many believe to be unconstitutional mm -hmm. as as this continues i mean obviously you're a supporter uh, you back the blue you've said that often and I think that that's something that I've seen on the right, you know, throughout all my travels over the last year. There was always this sentiment to back blue. But at what point does that break down, Audrey? Well, here's the thing is, you know, the state police and all these different agencies, the city police, they're all they're all different agencies. Our sheriffs mm -hmm. are a different entity. You know, our sheriffs are the only um, law person that is is actually voted in. They have the most power. They even actually have more power than our governor. 
-hmm. if they would actually stand up and really understand the constitution and their rights as a, as a sheriff, we could really, um, they could really protect their people within their counties. But when you look at the state agencies, like, you know, the state police, you know, a lot of them, you know, those are jobs, you know, you have people there working, you know, that are half families and they're less reluctant to lose their job over situations, or maybe they're, you know, ready to retire. And you see a lot of that, you know, a lot of people are being quiet, but some of our state cops, you know, off the record, they agree with us. They believe with, you know, what we're doing. They're just almost like they're forced, you know, they're with their hands in their pockets. You can see that they really feel uncomfortable. Um, but I find it interesting to see that, you know, when they force these things and they send out these state cops or to especially businesses and out to the community, that's a very bad example, you know, that they're showing their, the people, you know, they're, they're basically pitting our state cops against the citizens when they're supposed to serve and protect us. So, you know, it, 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 I think they just really need to start looking at where they stand and, and in the agencies themselves and say, you know what, after some time, they're going to have to look at this and say, you know, we're here to serve and protect. We can't make these people our enemies. Yes. You know, just like you said, you know, we as Republicans, as conservatives, as most of us that believe in the safety of our communities, you know, we stand with our police officers. We're the first ones to, you know, go in and make sure to bring out our, our, our back the blue flags and say, you know what, I know that we're, you're being treated unfairly, Black Lives Matter movements, all these other things that are very Marxist. They're not, they don't even, half of them aren't even black people, you know, are pushing these hateful rhetoric towards these entities. And I know there is some issues, I mean, where, where the, the police, you know, overstep sure. their bounds and, and that's a whole different issue. But in reality, there's more good than there are as bad. And I think, you know, I think the state is being very unfair by what they're, how they're using them as their own personal, basically army. Yeah, I, I do think that we're definitely in a situation where I'm constantly reminded of the words of Thomas Paine when he talked about summertime patriots and winter soldiers and that sacrifices are going to have to be made in order to defend this constitution that everybody continuously pontificates about <laughs> fighting for that document in reality is much much harder than doing it on twitter or facebook so and that's why it's so you know it's so important to really know your constitutional rights and really defend our second because without yeah. our second you know all the rest yeah. are going to you can't protect all the rest sure well and that's been a complaint for me a long time is that the, the the conversation always turned to the second amendment but i saw the first amendment continue to be eroded yeah and eroded and eroded. And at what point do people say, okay, well, maybe you ought to kick in with second amendment. And, you know, if you say that, that makes you a terrorist. But then when you've got people like Jen Psaki going around and she's saying that, you know, these rights are really not important in comparison to saving lives from COVID. So this is the situation where we've gotten. And so let this just be my um, ask of the blue and law enforcement and sheriffs everywhere is, is it really is time for you to understand your duty to the constitution. And everyone needs to understand that quite frankly, your life isn't nearly as important as our freedoms. Right. Amen to that. Yeah. Uh, so all right, we had on uh, Ben Luna here on Wednesday and he's, he's definitely a fan of yours and stuff like that. Are you tied up with tied into his, his movement of going from County to County over the next kind of six months and talking to sheriffs? Because um, you alluded to the fact that sheriffs do ultimately, as, as an elected representative and a law enforcement representative in the counties, does have tremendous amount of power. Have you hooked up with him and talked to him or, you know, kind of col collaborated on uh, his efforts to talk to these sheriffs? Absolutely. You know, we were part of this. Is we, It's kind of funny because you, you kind of meet all these people that were really strong willed and wanting to do the right thing. And Ben Luna was one of those that, that, you know, when I started these big rallies, we started incorporating and working together on a lot of issues. And the 33 counties tour um, kind of came out from what we had started from the very beginning. So I don't know if you guys remember when we, um, we had the 33 counties where we went to each county and we had the city councils um, try to push and, 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 and basically um, pass a resolution for a second amendment sanctuary yeah All right. so so that's where that started and 
it kind of gave back, I guess, confidence into the sheriffs and know that, you know, you have power within your counties. You know, the people are, are, are standing behind you and, you know, look in um, truth and consequences, you know, the sheriff there, I think it was uh, one of the sheriffs, Hamilton, he actually was able to um, deputize his whole congregation there, you know, because of all these second amendment things that were coming out with the red flag issues and everything. So they have a lot of enormous power. And if we can just stand behind our sheriffs and we actually, when we do go to the, the voting polls and we vote for a sheriff, you know, make sure he's a constitutional sheriff. It makes a big difference. You know, in, in a lot of the counties that are not constitutional sheriffs, you can tell because they stand back. They're out of the 33 counties. I think it was only, I believe it was 29 that actually got those resolutions done in their counties. Sure. Sure. I think, I think, I think we're starting to wrap up. So what do you envision in your future? You know, what are your political aspirations? Do you have any? Are you comfortable where you're at 100%? Do you think there's more you can do? I think, you know, I've kind of opened the can of worms and, and you know, and I've kind of empowered people to start stepping up. So a lot of these rallies, like with Ben Luna and a lot of these other or other organizations, like, um, what is it, Stand Up New Mexico? And um, I know there's a there's an array of all of them. You know, they're starting to do what I was doing from the beginning. So I feel like, you know, they're getting a good handle on doing that and, and protecting our First Amendment rights and fighting for causes that now I think there's something bigger that I need to do. And I think New Mexico needs to go in a bigger, you know, a, a stronger direction. And yeah. we need to get involved in, 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 in our politics and actually get in there. If we can at least um, change the way New Mexicans think is as far as, you know, not only voting for Democrat or Republican, but actually for the policies behind these people that are running. Um, we need to start looking at just I guess strengthening New Mexico, you know, get those people that can reach across the aisle to the Democrats and those moderates to get, you know, from the, the, even just the, um, I don't know, like, I, like, I feel like, like in New Mexico, we have this array of, of, of people, right? We have the ones that are far left, you know, and those will never reach. Then we have the moderates kind of the center, you know, we have the independents that, they don't necessarily agree with either side, but but they but they are constitutionally based, but they're kind of ignored because they're not a, a major party. You know, I think we got to stop looking at parties. I think we need to start looking at policy, and we have to start looking at the people that are running and find out more about them. You know, they put some of these people in there in office, and then you start googling them. It takes five minutes to find out they've been involved in all this crazy stuff and it's going to come out <laughs> and it tarnishes the, the whole campaign, you know? So, um, I guess, yes, without saying too much, yes, I do want to, I'm still, I'm looking at a higher office and, um, because I, I definitely think that we do need to bring back the integrity into New Mexico and when it comes to your politicians. So if, if you don't find somebody that can do that, you might as well do it and step up to the plate. So, and I'm a doer, so. Well, well, all right. So you heard it here first, folks. She's thinking about something. <laughs> <laughs> Audrey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for showing up here on yeah, our welcome. little program here. And yeah, keep up the fight, keep up the good work. And uh, Continue. whenever you decide to do what you do, come on the show. You guys will be, I'll be on your show first. Okay. okay. Awesome. Perfect. We like that. Thanks so much, Audrey. Thank you. Thank Audrey. you. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, there it is. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Another, another one in the bag. Baca, what are you doing back there? Good afternoon, everyone. I'm just hanging out trying to not mess up the show. So. <laughs> it's all right. I, I feel like we got through, quiet. you know. The volume headphones. was quiet at the beginning, yeah. All right. Still working through all those errors. Just chuck the insults at me. Um, thank you to everybody that tuned in. Uh, what This next Sunday, which is July 25th, we are going to have a niece Golden Morper. Uh, I believe I said that right. I tried my best. And she is running for lieutenant governor. Uh, I met her once or twice, and she's pretty awesome. So that should be a fun interview. And um, 
other than that, I have nothing else. But you know, the last few weeks I've been cutting you guys off, like just like oh, and yeah. exiting the show. So are we ready? Do you guys have anything else to say? This is our tenth episode, so I feel like maybe we got to be like you guys have suits on. I'm beachwear. You are beachwear. <laughs> you are definitely on, on casual. Solo. Yeah, uh, it's okay. Sunday. You what? take a lot of phone calls in relation to this show, so I, I, I'll let you wear the beach wear. Yeah, yeah, it's hot. Yeah. It's we appreciate hot. It, though. We appreciate all your efforts again. And yeah, man, tune in next week when we will talk to another political actor here in the state of New Mexico who is going to attempt to maybe become lieutenant governor and help New Mexico rise. With that said, take us out of here, producer Buck. Ten shows and thanks, everybody. We love you. Hey.